In the United States, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has a threshold of 55. So with the right patient, and I have to stress that, with the right patient in good health who has embryos frozen from when she was younger, we could help the right woman achieve a pregnancy even as old as 55. Hello and welcome to Miseducated, the show about unlearning the misguided rules from society that govern our lives. With me, your host, Tash Doherty. So I'm 25 and like all female humans, I'm very limited by my biological clock. Basically, it means that if I want to have kids, by the time that I turn 40, my eggs won't be viable anymore, and so I won't even be able to get pregnant naturally. This time limit creates a lot of pressure and stress, because it means that I need to somehow get on a roll in my career, find the person that I want to have kids with, and also become financially stable, all in the next 10 years. Already, I could tell that this was going to be way too much for me to try to accomplish in my 30s, and I figured that I had a lot to learn about my fertility. I really just wanted to know how long I could put off having kids for. To find out more, I got in touch with Dr. Fahima Sassan. She's the founding doctor of KindBody, a fertility clinic in Manhattan that's currently at the forefront of fertility services. I managed to visit the KindBody clinic before COVID, and when I entered it, I felt like I was walking into a spa. I sat on a comfortable light pink couch, I looked at some soothing artistic prints that were hanging on whitewashed walls, and I picked up KindBody's glossy menu of services. Except rather than offering massages or mani-pedis, their menu read embryo banking and genetic testing, egg thawing and transferring, annual egg storage, and intrauterine insemination. The whole place had a warm, futuristic feel to it. When I spoke to Dr. Sasan, she told me everything about what is currently possible with egg freezing, IVF, and genetic embryo testing, and she blew my mind multiple times. These fertility treatments are obviously not accessible to everyone because they are so expensive, and also to go through with some of the treatments, you have to answer some deeply challenging and personal moral questions. But what she told me has drastically changed how I'm planning to organise my life around having children, and it also helped me learn about some better options out there. So that's why I wanted to share everything that she told me with you. Enjoy! So my name is Dr. Fahima Sasan. I'm a board-certified OBGYN. I did my training at Mount Sinai here in New York City and was previously at Mount Sinai for 12 years. I am the founding physician of KindBody. KindBody is building a national network of women's health practices with a focus of really providing women's entire array of gynecologic services that they need, whether that's annual checkups and pap smears and IUDs and contraception to pregnancy planning and fertility assessments. I think fertility in general is a topic that most people know very little about. And it can be a scary topic for some people, but the more you learn, the earlier you learn, the more options you can have. So first I asked her about my biological clock. So here's kind of the story of it. All women on average are born with about 2 million eggs. 
that's our maximum. So whatever you're born with is all you'll have. There's no technology in the world that can make someone make new eggs. By the time we reach our first period, we're already down to 300,000 to 400,000 eggs. Hopefully your jaw is dropping because that means we lose the vast majority of our eggs in the first decade of our lives. They're just lost. And this is on average universally. We lose up to a thousand eggs a month. Okay, so then all women are going to reach zero at some point. Now there are women and it's 20% of women under the age of 35 who have unexplained premature ovarian failure, meaning they're still young, they're under the age of 35, and 20% of women can have premature low fertility. So, and you don't know who those 20% are. It's not like I can look at you and say, oh, you might have low fertility for better or worse. Wait a minute. So she's telling me one in five women under the age of 35 already have low fertility. I might not be as fertile as I thought there's no correlation either to like your health. So you could be totally vegan, do yoga seven days a week, have the perfect lifestyle, perfect weight, perfect everything, and still have a low egg count. And again, I'm not advocating not being healthy, but you could also be quite unhealthy person and have a good egg count. So I encourage everyone to be the healthiest version of themselves, but it's not something we can control. So I think the most important take-home message for anybody that is thinking about their fertility is to you have to find out what your own reality is. Every person is unique. So you start with peace of mind and you enter the journey without being nervous, or you find out early there's an issue. And the first step is finding out what is my fertility, what is my egg count. And so it's easy. It's a fertility assessment. It's an ultrasound. It is vaginal. It takes five, 10 minutes. It's a little invasive probe that goes in the vagina, but it's not painful. It's an ultrasound that can allow us to actually count the follicles within the ovaries. And then a blood test. It's called anti-malarian hormone, or AMH for short. And the combination of this ultrasound follicle count and this blood test called AMH allows me to then tell any woman, whether she's in her 20s or she's in her 40s, what is your fertility? Do you still have eggs? If the answer is yes, do you still have a lot of eggs or do you have very little eggs? And exactly know objectively what your count is. The information you gain from a fertility test is really useful and I'm planning on getting one once COVID loosens up a bit. If you know how fertile you are, then you can decide, do I need to preserve my fertility now and would egg freezing be a good option for me? Then Dr. Sasan can meet you at any step in that journey right? So if you're single or you're just waiting to meet the right person, but for whatever reason you've decided I want to preserve my fertility, then we're just going to freeze your eggs. And that's particularly amazing and becomes truly beneficial for women who are in their 20s and early 30s. Why? Because the younger you are, the better the quality of your eggs are. So then that 10 to 1 ratio goes into play. On average, in a woman who's in her 20s and early 30s, we need about 10 eggs for the improved chance of one baby. So then I'll ask our client, how many kids do you ideally want to have? And if she says, I want three kids, then I'm like, all right, we need 30 eggs for the improved chance. Now, it's never a guarantee, but improved chance of three children someday. So in that world, we're just freezing eggs because I want you to have a chance to 
meet your knight in shining armor or later on if you decide to use donor sperm or whatever it is you decide to do, but I want you to have your options, right? None of us know exactly what the future holds. So it's really having some honest conversations and then really exploring options uh, and trying to leave as many windows open or doors open so that in the event that you change your mind, um, you still have uh, as many options as possible. Because the older you are, a higher percentage of the eggs will be genetically abnormal. While we applaud women of all ages to explore their options, egg freezing oftentimes is not the best option for someone who's already 40, just because the quality of the eggs are going to be really poor. So late 30s, 40s, I need more eggs for one baby. Some of the eggs won't fertilize, meaning you introduce perfectly good sperm, nothing happens. Some of the eggs will fertilize, but they won't grow, meaning the initial reaction occurs when the sperm and egg meet, but then nothing further happens. And then some of the eggs will fertilize, they'll grow, but they'll end up being genetically abnormal. Genetically abnormal embryos is the most common reason why a miscarriage occurs. And then some of the eggs will be genetically normal, and then that's the ones that you could use for a pregnancy. Fine. So if someone has a partner, or they have are committed to a donor sperm, then we can fertilize the eggs, right? Key thing is once an egg is fertilized, it can't unfertilize it. So we got to make sure we're committed. Even with couples that are in committed relationships, you're doing this for the future. What if you get divorced? And not to be a Debbie Downer, but if we're going to be, this is all about future planning and family planning, we have to be realistic that divorce occurs, separations occur, all of that. So but if, let's say someone does want to make embryos and they have, they're fertile, this is all the key things of doing this. But the only time we can check the genetics of an egg is when it's fertilized and is now an embryo. So you can't check genetics of sperm alone and you can't check genetics of eggs alone. The reaction has to occur and an embryo has to be formed. Once an embryo has formed, fertility doctors are now able to screen embryos for all kinds of characteristics and diseases. I asked Dr. Sasan, so given the current state of technology, what is possible? What can you test an embryo for? So first and foremost, we can check to make sure there's 46 chromosomes. We can tell you the sex of the baby if that's something a person wants to know. So those are the basics. But let's say we know that this uh, man and woman both are carriers for genetic disease. Let's say they are carriers for type 1 diabetes, which has genetically been mapped out, meaning we know the genetics we can test for Tay-Sachs disease or cystic fibrosis. So then we can specifically check the embryo to see if it's affected by that disease. Suddenly, I started to realize just how powerful the technology is of genetically testing embryos and what kind of inequality this will create. People who can afford genetic testing of embryos can make sure their children don't have any genetic disorders, like Down syndrome. Maybe they'd end up selecting only male embryos for their firstborn children to keep up old patriarchal lineages of wealth in their family. But when it came to the topic of screening embryos for cancer genes, it started to hit a little bit closer to home for me. In my family, my grandfather was an Ashkenazi Jew, and he was the carrier of a gene called the BRCA1. Both men and women can be carriers of the BRCA1, and it's fairly common in the Ashkenazi community. 
But tragically, when women get this gene, they have an 80% chance of getting breast cancer before they turn 90. The BRCA genes is something you could test embryos for. So if someone knows they're BRCA positive, and it obviously passing on the BRCA gene is not only putting that person at significant risk of breast cancer, but also ovarian cancer. And so being able to prevent that is an incredible accomplishment of science. It's going to be incredible for that child and for their children and their grandchildren. You know, you're stopping the passing. So we start off by screening the couple and maybe, you know, they're lucky and they're not carriers for any of the same diseases then great. Then there's nothing to do. Then they go and have sex and hopefully get pregnant for free and all is well with the world. But in the event that we find out that they're both carriers for the same disease, or we know that the man or woman are genetically carrier for a disease, we can genetically test the embryo and then single out the ones that are affected and not use those. And then the ones that are disease-free, we can use. In those cases, checking for a specific disease would only be done on a case-by-case basis based on what the couple is known to be a carrier for. So it's a huge game changer because this is now a couple that's worried about passing on a genetic disease, and you can prevent that. We're trying to figure out the genetics of certain cancers. There are some elite scientists around the world who are focusing their entire careers on this, and it's something that I imagine will have tremendous strides over the ne- in this next decade and, and beyond. We're not there yet, uh, but people sometimes do this just to have a boy or a girl. For, like they have two girls and they just really want only to have a boy. So sometimes people will do IVF for that reason. This was news to me. I started to see how the way we view IVF as something that you don't want because it's for infertile couples, can suddenly become the gold standard for designing your optimal child. And if this much was possible with genetic testing, egg freezing, and creating embryos, I dared to ask Dr. Sasan her thoughts on just how long I could extend my biological clock. First and foremost, at any age, it's vitally important to assess a woman's health, to make sure that she's healthy to actually be pregnant because it's a stress on the body. So, and it's particularly important as women get into their 40s and older to make sure that they're healthy enough to be pregnant. For example, if someone has high blood pressure, diabetes, if they have heart disease, uh, they have pre-existing medical issues that something's going on where this pregnancy is now going to harm your health and potentially harm the pregnancy, then as a doctor, be honest with that woman and say, listen, I know you have frozen embryos and they're genetically normal, but I don't think it's healthy for you to carry a pregnancy. So let's say a woman doesn't have any other medical issues. She's at a good weight, recognizing that being underweight is just as unhealthy as being overweight. And that's something we often don't talk about in our society. She does not under any other medications that could potentially harm a pregnancy. And being pregnant itself is not going to endanger her life. Then in the United States, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has a threshold of 55. So with the right patient, and I have to stress that, with the right patient in good health who has embryos frozen from when she was younger, we could help the right woman achieve a pregnancy even as old as 55. Imagine becoming a mother for the first time at 55 years old. That is truly insane. 
How physically is that even possible? So that means she's probably in menopause already because the average age of menopause in the United States is 51. But once we have embryos, we can manipulate that. So we can give hormones to prepare the uterus to accept uh, embryo, even if you're no longer menstruating. The uterus doesn't age. The uterus is just a muscle. Again, I, I started all of this off by stressing how important it is on a case-by-case basis. And in those cases too, we get, you know, we get our therapy team involved too. What does it mean to be pregnant when you're 55? You know, how old will you be when your child gets older? And just really make sure that we're addressing the whole body, not just ovaries and uterus, because it's a huge disservice if a doctor is only addressing your you know, vagina, uterus, and ovaries. So progesterone is the hormone that helps build the uterine lining. So think of it like you're trying to prepare a very soft bed or cushion for this embryo to implant. And so it's typically administered over a course of time, depending on the woman. It can be for a month or as little as two weeks, two to four weeks. And we can actually uh, assess it with ultrasound to make sure that the lining is at the correct, precise measurement so that it's amenable to accepting. We're going to wait till your lining is perfect because those embryos are precious, especially if you're older and you save them from when you were younger. So we really make sure everything is ideal and perfect before we implant the embryo. And in the same topic, you know, uh, let's say it's a same-sex male couple that's using a gestational carrier. So we're preparing their lining in the same way. Once the embryo successfully implants, then the magic of which is it's as a doctor and I've been doing this now for a long, long time. I still think one of the most fascinating things in the world is the miraculous things that occur uh, in that 10 uh, months of pregnancy. Uh, But sure. Yes. Once an embryo implants, the cell divisions that occur are fascinating. The pregnancy takes over. I do have to include the caveat that with in vitro fertilization or fertility treatments, miscarriage can still happen, you know, and so just because an embryo is genetically normal and implants doesn't guarantee that nine months later you'll have a pregnancy. As you can see, this is a topic where you start peeling the onion and it's endless. So there you have it. If I freeze my eggs, the maximum legal age I could get an embryo implanted into me is 55. Of course, 55 is quite old, but I'm starting to think that having kids in my 40s could be a real possibility. To do that, I'd have to freeze my eggs sometime in the next couple of years, and something tells me that I could give it to myself as a 30th birthday present. If you like this episode of Miseducated, give us a five-star rating on iTunes Podcasts, hit subscribe, and tune in again soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Cezanne, for joining us. And you can find out more about all the amazing things she's doing at kindbody.com. Lots of love to you all. Stay home, stay safe, keep yourself healthy, 